Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job. And you can give them a call and visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have great guests for today's show, including William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. One just coming out, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier, book he wrote with Buzz Aldrin. We'll also visit with Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, and Michael Cannon, research fellow. I should say he is the director of Health uh, Policy Studies at the Cato Institute as well. It is November the 12th, and on this day in 1954, Ellis Island, the gateway to America, shut its doors after processing more than 12 million immigrants since opening in 1892. Today, tens of millions of Americans can trace their roots through Ellis Island, located in New York Harbor, off the New Jersey coast, and named for merchant Samuel Ellis, who owned the land in the 1770s. On January the 2nd, 1892, 15-year-old Annie Moore from Ireland became the first person to pass through the newly opened Ellis Island, which President Benjamin Harrison designated as America's first federal immigration center in 1890. Before that time, processing of immigrants had been handled by individual states. Not all immigrants who sailed into New York had to go through Ellis Island. First and second class passengers submitted a brief shipboard inspection and then disembarked at the piers in New York or New Jersey where they passed through customs. People in third class, though, were transported to Ellis Island where they underwent medical and legal inspections to ensure they didn't have a contagious disease or some condition that would make them a burden to the government. Only 2% of the immigrants who denied ent- were denied entrance into the United States. Immigration at Ellis Island peaked between 1892 and 1924, during which time the 3.3-acre island was enlarged with landfill. By the 1930s, it reached a current 27.5-acre size, and additional buildings were constructed to handle the massive influx of immigrants. During the busiest year of operation in 1907, over 1 million people were processed at Ellis Island. Ironically, <laughs> we're having 2 million come in uh, illegally uh, through the borders with Mexico. With America's entrance into World War I, immigration declined, <clears throat> and Ellis Island was used as a detention center for suspected enemies. Following the war, Congress passed quota laws and the Immigration Act of 1924, which sharply reduced the number of newcomers allowed in the country and also enabled immigrants to be processed at U.S. consulates abroad. After 1924, Ellis Island switched from a processing center to serving other purposes such as detention and deportation center, a hospital for wounded soldiers during World War II, and a Coast Guard training center. In November 1954, the last detainee, a Norwegian merchant seaman, was uh, released and Ellis Island officially closed. Beginning in 1984, Ellis Island underwent a $160 million renovation the largest history, historic renovation project in U.S. history. In September 1990, the Ellis Island Immigration Museum opened to the public and today is visited by almost 2 million folks each year. Great period during our When you think about 12 million people coming to the United States, that's when the population was about a third of what it is uh, right now. <clears throat> that was a lot of folks by comparison. Well, the October inflation numbers were bad enough to send the American left scrambling for a narrative. Not only were these numbers worse than expected, they were worse than the worst expectations. The top of the range of forecasts in a Conaday's survey was 0.7% month-to-month and 5.9% annually. Well, the numbers actually came in at 0.9% and 6.2%. The White House decided to admit the inflation was a real problem. Speaking at the Baltimore Harbor, President Joe Biden promised to make inflation fighting a top priority and expressed empathy with households facing higher prices. So far, however, his efforts mostly seem to consist of pushing the same Build Back Better bill he was pushing when the White House soon insisting inflation would fade away real soon. 
left-wing advocacy groups went into a different direction, declaring that inflation was actually good. It was a good thing for the economy. At the same time, however, they described inflation as mildly elevated and just a result of one-time price increases. Never mind what you see in the grocery stores. You going to believe your lion eyes? All this inflation talk is just GOP inflation disinformation, they claimed. Neither of those narratives appear to be working, at least not when it comes to Senator Joe Manchin. The West Virginia Democrat declared that Washington, D.C. can no longer ignore inflation. By all accounts, the threat posed by record inflation to the American people is not transitory and is instead getting worse. From the grocery store to the gas pump, Americans know that inflation tax is real and D.C. can no longer ignore the economic pain Americans feel every day, Manchin said. Boy, is he right about that. You know, he said he doesn't know where he belongs. I think he belongs in the Republican Party. I think he'd be a nice addition. And uh, just to remind you, apparently the, home, the founder of Home Depot, who is a staunch conservative, is throwing a fundraiser for Manchin in West Virginia. Maybe that's just the beginning of his uh, change of heart and uh, change of party. We'll see. Well, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida floated the possibility of sending buses of illegal immigrants to Joe Biden's home state of Delaware if the federal government keeps sending clandestine planes to Florida filled with migrants detained at the U.S.-Mexico border. The Republican, who's widely considered to be a top potential 2024 presidential contender, blasted the Biden administration's border policies at a Wednesday press conference, taking particular aim at the flights sent to Florida in the middle of the night without prior warning to a state. If they're going to come here, we'll provide buses, DeSantis said. I'll send them to Delaware. If he's not going to support the border being secured, then he should be able to have everyone there. A little bit tongue-in-cheek, I think, but uh, well, it'd be great <laughs> if they just loaded up all these folks and sent them to Delaware, maybe to Rehoboth Beach. They've been coming uh, over 70 flights with over 30 people each since May or June, the DeSantis administration said last week. The development emerged as the Biden administration struggles to empty overflowing border facilities. There's no notification of the state of Florida, DeSantis said. They're done mostly in the middle of the night, and it's clandestine, and we really have no, no say in it. When we initially got wind of it, it wasn't through normal channels. It was people in the federal government effectively leaking this to us when we have, so we'd have a heads up on it. A spokeswoman said the comment about the sending the migrants to Delaware was tongue-in-cheek. She said the notion of sending them out of Florida was real. The extent the federal government is paying for them to go all over the country and resettling them in Jacksonville would be against the law for us to send them somewhere else. That's something that I think we should look into, she told the New York Post. DeSantis said some of the migrants the federal government dumped in his state could have been originally apprehended by Florida law enforcement while they were helping secure the border in Texas. What would happen if folks would legally come illegally, our folks would apprehend, you know, turn them over to the feds, and then the feds would put them on a bus or flights and send them all over the country? How is that something that's effective, he said? He's absolutely right. I think the idea of sending them to Delaware would be, <laughs> would be a great idea. Small state. With all these folks, a couple of million new Haitians and uh, foreigners, illegal immigrants in Delaware. Well, the State Department is uh, working to secure the release of several kidnapped hostage hostages taken by Iran terrorists just a day back, or Iran backed terrorists just a day after the militant group stormed the U.S. embassy facility in Sanaa, Yemen. U.S. officials said a group of Houthi rebels reportedly stormed the U.S. compound on Wednesday seeking a large quantities of equipment and materials. Uh, the raid comes just five days after the Houthis kidnapped Yemeni nationals who work for the U.S. Embassy. The alleged raid comes after the Houthis kidnapped three Yemeni nationals officially affiliated with the U.S. Embassy from one of the employee's private residences in Sanaa on November the 5th. At least 22 other Yemenis were kidnapped by the Houthis in recent weeks, most of whom worked on security staff guarding the embassy grounds. The State Department confirmed in the Free Beacon that the Yemeni staffers are being detained without explanation and that the Iran-backed militants stole property after breaching the American facility in Sanaa, which housed U.S. embassy staff prior to the suspension of operations there in 2015. 
The United States has been unceasing in its dip- diplomatic efforts to secure their release, a State Department said. Person said, yeah, I'm sure. I wonder if they're offering money <clears throat> to get them back. The majority of the detainees have been released, but the Houthis continue to detain additional Yemeni employees of the embassy. They still can be held at the, as detained without explanation. We call for their immediate release, said the State Department spokesperson. That's a pretty sad development, and I think it just emboldens people all across the world to take advantage of America and American citizens. It's a really sad state of affairs. I wonder how this will all transpire, what the end will be. Will we pay some sort of a ransom? I suspect we will, unfortunately. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, I'm going to visit with William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected into the community and with each other. The Golden Gate Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Tatiana Fortune, director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. We want to be able to connect you to whatever service or activity. And even if the person doesn't want to come out for socialization, if they have a question about, um, hey, where do I go for transportation? Where do I go for uh, a certain health care? If they have a need, we are able to point them in that direction through our information and referral service. So we're more than happy to assist in that as well. To find out more, visit CallYourSeniorResources.org. That's CallYourSeniorResources.org or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social, a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app from the choicesocial.us website. Coming up, we're going to be visiting Professor Larry Bell, a Dodd professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now, we have with us William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. Uh, We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. Thank you, William. So uh, we're going to talk about current events and what's happening on Capitol Hill, and just let's start off with the saga that we've been talking about for the last few months, the progressives cave, and we're left with at least $1.2 trillion in an infrastructure bill. What are your thoughts? 
Well, indeed, the saga has at least halfway come to a head. Um, So after intense lobbying from the White House, the House of Representatives on Saturday passed that $1.2 trillion uh, physical infrastructure bill. Um, It was bipartisan. There was 13 members of the House GOP um, voted for it. Uh, Just to remind your listeners, this includes $500 billion worth of new infrastructure spending, um, of which about $250 billion is new deficit spending. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, uh, it, this is a sad result insofar as all along we had been um, hoping that infighting in the Democrat caucus would sink both this physical infrastructure bill and the uh, human infrastructure bill. Um, but alas, at least this physical infrastructure bill has now passed the House and the Senate, and uh, President Biden intends to sign it on Monday. Yeah, so, the, you know, and just a comment. I mean, I think we do need our sa- infrastructure is in sad shape. We do need spending in infrastructure. But uh, there's so much waste in this bill. I mean, it could have been done in a way that could be a lot more innovative and a lot more effective for the American people. Here, here, uh, I'll note that at this point that there was already $700 billion worth of infrastructure spending coming down the pike. That's why this is a $1.2 billion or $1.2 trillion measure with $500 billion worth of new spending. Um, uh, the long and short of it is uh, this uh, infrastructure, the $500 billion on top of that $700 billion in physical infrastructure spending, comes on top of the $5.5 trillion that Congress had just spent uh, during the pandemic on economic stimuli. So uh, the long and short of it is, uh, yes, I mean, uh, I'm all for, I guess, uh, the reauthorization of, of nuts and bolts infrastructure spending. But as you intimated, this bill is just full of gimmicks and pork and and really is off the mark, if you will. Hey, a trillion here, a trillion there, it all adds up. Alas. <laughs> <laughs> so, William, I guess, uh, it, of course, the uh, president and the administration and Democrats are doubling down now with regard to the human infrastructure or the Build Back Better plan. It, here, in spite of the inflation, that uh, and Manchin's calling him out about it. He's basically saying we shouldn't be doing anything like this, spending these trillions of dollars on uh, uh, social programs in the midst of all this inflation. We've got this weird dynamic from the White House where, um, I guess we're in a post-truth world. We've already heard the White House say that this human infrastructure bill doesn't, quote, cost anything Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, um, corporations and wealthy individuals are going to pay for it. Um, In the exact same vein, uh, the... uh, 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 oh, I'm sorry, but I lost my train of thought there. We were speaking about, oh, uh, with inflation. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, this week, Biden comes out and purports that the social infrastructure bill is a solution to inflation. Um, and again, that's just antithetical. I mean, it's besides the point to begin with. I mean, if anything, adding money to the money supply is going to uh, militate in favor of inflation, but it, it gets at how there's this disconnect between the reality and what the White House is saying with respect to the macroeconomic effects of this uh, human infrastructure package. You know, it seems to me we ought to require everybody in elected office to take Economics 101 before they start recommending policy. I, I have the feeling and the sense that if we listened to everything that Joe Biden proposed and did exactly the opposite, we'd probably never make another mistake again as a, you know, as a country. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I'm, uh, of late, you know, given his decision-making, I can't disagree. Yeah, it's un- unbelievable. So uh, what's going to happen from here? They're, they are doubling down. They're going to still tr- try and push this thing through in December? Well, you hit the, that's certainly leadership's intent, but you hit the nail on the head when you brought up Manchin. And as we've discussed before, uh, this bill is only going to go as far as he allows, and Senator Sinema as well. You know, again, the Senate is, is divided 50-50. Um, he's been calling to, to push the brakes on this social spending measure for weeks, or months now. Mm-hmm. So uh, notwithstanding that the fact that, that House and uh, Senate leadership want to proceed apace and get this thing done in December and sort of the White House, I honestly don't see it happening. I mean, at this point, Manchin has gotten the physical infrastructure bill, which is what he wanted. And, and uh, 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 here, of course, I'm engaging in speculation. Um, but every signal he sent is that he wants to tap the brakes. 
from your lips to God's ear. So let's let's move to the OSHA vaccine mandate that's uh, being actually challenged by many states, over half the states here in the United States. What are your thoughts? Well, it, it, I'll say this. So 27 states, as you mentioned, have already challenged it um, in circuit courts across the country. And in particular, just uh, the nuts and bolts of the mandate, it requires employ, uh, businesses with more than 100 employees to either uh, force a, vac- uh, a vaccine or uh, enforce weekly testing. Um, and compliance costs are expected to be about $3 billion dollars. This is just the latest capacious regulation coming out of this White House. Um, it faces an uphill climb in court. Uh, I'll note this, that the, the vast majority uh, of this exercise of authority, it's, it's only been employed rarely in mm-hmm. this uh, uh, exercise of occupational safe and health. Uh, uh, health. Um, uh, the long and short of it is, in the past, these regulations have often failed in court. I... Uh, the, so far, the, the first in this year from the courts is that the Fifth Circuit paused the rule while it, it considers whether or not to postpone it for the duration of litigation. So already the administration has suffered a setback. Um, given the history of litigation against this type of exercise of authority, um, I, 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 well, I'm loath to speculate, but it, it faces an uphill climb in federal courts. Well, from your lips again to God's ear. Uh, here in Florida, we're having a uh, special legislative session that starts on Monday, and one of the considerations is a bill to withdraw from OSHA. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there's no question that this is yet another agency, that uh, federal agency that's now being weaponized by this administration. It seems, I'm thinking about the FBI, the CIA, about the uh, the, uh, CDC, and you can go down the list of alphabet agencies now that seem to be supporting uh, the Biden uh, agenda. Indeed, it's a whole-of-government approach, if you will. I'll just note super briefly, with respect to that Florida legislation and also these 27 attorneys general who are suing the Biden administration over this rule, and that's the importance of federalism, our constitutional system of federalism, um, in checking these these capacious exercises of executive power. So, I mean, you know, what you're seeing there, it's a a bit heartening. Um, It's our constitutional system in work. Um, ensuring that the president doesn't overreach. Absolutely. Before I let you go, uh, William, uh, could you any comments at all about the Durham probe? Well, the second indictment came down uh, against uh, Igor Danchenko. Uh, uh, all told, it appears as though the Russia Gate was just phony baloney uh, concocted by political operatives intent on using the uh, leveraging state power against their political enemies. Um, I'll say this. They've gotten two non-governmental employees online to the FBI. I'm not a, a terribly, I'm more keen on, on what is disclosed than I am in going after these, what seem to be small potatoes. Right. Um, I've got my fingers crossed that they, they have prosecutors and investigators at the FBI and at the Department of Justice in the crosshair. Well, this whole process has been very slow, but I am encouraged that perhaps justice will be done. We'll see some results as a consequence of what happened. And, uh, Maybe special prosecutors is the way to go in the future when it comes to taking a look at the 2020 election and other issues where there seems to be cheating and malfeasance going on. Well, I'll say this. Special prosecutors, uh, they are our foremost government tool when it comes to getting to the bottom of things. Yeah, absolutely. Again, William Aiden, research fellow at the Cato Institute, I encourage you to visit cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Always appreciate your commentary here in the William. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Michael Cannon. He is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue
Provence restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse. You just started the commercial about building a 43,000 square foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. Uh, you know, we raised $58 million in order to pull this off, and it's just a terrific thing. I served as board chairman of Golf Shore Playhouse for 15 years. Very proud of taking an idea, just an intellectual concept with no following and no brand and building it into what is going to be an outstanding, it is an outstanding, and uh, will become an even more outstanding center, cultural center in downtown Naples. So uh, tickets right now are being sold. You can get a tickets to uh, Radio Golf, uh, which is, I think, the next prefer performance. You can go to the uh, website, golfshoreplayhouse.org, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Tickets are inexpensive, and your quality of broadcasts and of, uh, performances are just unbelievable. So I hope you'll get tickets to golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell. He's an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books. His latest coming out will be Dora... Uh, uh, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier, he wrote with uh, Buzz Aldrin. Aldrin. Well, former President Barack Obama spoke Monday at the uh, COP26 summit in Glasgow to address the climate crisis. Given that Obama has a $12 million waterfront home in Martha's Vineyard, he does not appear to be too concerned about climate change and rising waters. Obama also seemed to know as much about physics or science as Greta Thunberg, which to say is not too much. But in a rare moment of transparency, Obama said something revealing and explained exactly why he is in Scotland. It had nothing to do with climate change, of course. Let's face it, he said, this is not about raw numbers. This is not about science. This is about politics. It's about culture. It's about morality. It's about the human dynamic. How do we work together to get a big thing done? Obama said during his 46-minute speech in front of fully masked crowd. He didn't say how many times he referred to himself in the speech, though. And it's about participation and power. Thinking back on my own experience as president, I would have had the power to do even more to fight climate change during my time in office if I had stable congressional majority that was willing and eager to take action, he said. In other words, in Obama's word, world, the only way to fight climate change is to give the Democrats in Congress more power than they already have and miraculously the planet can be saved. So how does Obama plan on keeping the Democrats in power? Well, he's keeping climate change at the forefront of the radical leftist agenda to specifically target an increasingly misinformed and uneducated youth. 
Now, this, this is such an important explanation because I'd never thought about this before, but when people talk about climate change, they're targeting these Democrats, they're targeting certain audiences, probably not you and me, but maybe young people. He said, many young people are now starting to realize I've got to make my interests heard if I'm going to have the opportunity to vote. So in 2020 U.S. presidential election, young people were more likely than older voters to say the climate change was their top concern, and they also voted at a rate of 11 points higher than in 2016. That's the kind of thing that makes politicians sit up and take note, as Obama said. Well, here's the translation. It doesn't matter if climate change is a serious threat. It doesn't matter if climate policy will destroy thousands of energy jobs or raise the cost of meat without actually eliminating greenhouse gas house gases, all the while lowering the standards of living for everyone, all that matters is that ignorant young people take the issue very seriously, and if the socialists in charge fail to recognize that, then Democrat Party could very well go extinct before the planet does. That's the bottom line, uh, What uh, translating what Obama has to say. For Obama, this means rewarding climate activists with Green New Deal freebies and passing Joe Biden's 3.5 trillion-dollar socialist spending plan and bill that will, by some estimates, cost some dairy farmers an extra $6,504 per cow and include spending of $15 billion to build 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations, pay $3.5 billion for a civilian climate corps, implementing a $1 billion tax credit for environmental justice programs, for universities and adding a $1,500 tax credit on electric bicycles that cost up to $8,000. I'm not kidding. But don't worry, the current occupant of the White House keeps reminding us that the $3.5 trillion actually amounts to $0. Plus, what could go wrong with more people commuting and fatally crashing into each other on electric bicycles in urban cities? The bottom line is this. Uh, even if all electricity ran on solar and wind, most of the world's energy supply would run out, run on fossil fuels, and even if all countries in Paris Climate Agreement Accord kept their promises, the International Energy Agency estimates that fossil fuel would still make up 73, 73% of all the energy used by 2040. The good news is Obama says he's willing to make sacrifices to save the planet. He said, I can afford to give up a lot of my current lifestyle to benefit the planet because I'll still have a lot left over. <laughs> Although Obama did not say how specifically he'd be willing to sacrifice, putting his 29-acre, seven-bedroom est uh, estate on the market or no longer flying private uh, anywhere he goes. He really said that. I think this might be uh, Michael Cannon. Let's just find out. Hello, good morning. Michael, is that you? It is. Hey, well, welcome to the Bob Harden Show. You're on air right now. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely, Bob. Anytime. My pleasure, indeed. So I thought, uh, and just to, again, remind our listeners, Michael Cannon is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, and uh, we've had a lot of developments with regard to COVID. So, you know, we're starting to roll out the uh, vaccines now for 5 to 11-year-olds, and uh, to me, there's, well, in fact, they already we're seeing some young people, first of all, getting the wrong vaccine, but second of all, seeing a lot of negative reactions. Any thoughts? So the vaccines are remarkably safe for everyone, including people under, uh, well, in that 5 to 11 age category. We've discussed this before. I've got two children in that age category, eight-year-old twins. One boy, one girl. We were trying to decide uh, uh, what to do about them. They're at very low risk from the disease, yeah. but they're also at very low risk from the vaccines as well. We decided to vaccinate them because uh, it does offer them some measure of protection from the disease. It also helps to protect the people around them, even though transmission from children is uh, is is not a a huge problem. That's not where most of the transmission is coming from. Uh, we decided to do this. And we decided to do it in part because we wanted to vaccinate them against the COVID restrictions yeah, as well as against the disease itself. So the, both of those things were pushing in the right direction. And, uh, and that's the decision that we made. The, uh, and, and I got to say, I was really proud of my, well, proud of all of my kids, but in particular, my son, 
the day that uh, he uh, got his vaccine, the bo- a boy at the next table, this was in the high school cafeteria, a boy at the next table uh, who apparently had a needle phobia passed out, uh, his head hit the floor right in front of my eight-year-old son, a much older boy uh, this was, and uh, my eight-year-old son still uh, powered through. And, uh, and, and I think that we made the right choice, and I think as more people make this choice, it should become more apparent how safe the vaccines are. Well, it, first of all, you're speaking as though it is was your choice. I hope it remains the parental choice uh, going forward. I'm concerned that it won't, and if we end up having a mandate uh, from the federal government or from state governments, I'm very concerned about that. Michael, I wish we had more time to speak. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. But I just genuinely appreciate your calling back and uh, coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. You bet, Bob. Uh, My pleasure, indeed. Again, Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Uh, one of the programs is creating policies to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I proudly serve on the board. I'll help you check out the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of at least 10 books that I'm aware of. His latest on the market right now is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional, such an interesting read, but also coming out soon, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier, he co-wrote with uh, Buzz Aldrin. Larry, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. And Bob, thanks so much for having me on. Always a pleasure. And uh, your latest column in Newsmax, uh, On Point, uh, Larry's column in Newsmax, is Durham digs into Dems' trumped-up, dirty dossier, Russia collusion delusion. <laughs> a lot of alliteration going on, but this story is so important. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it is very important. Uh, 
lot of us really wondered what was happening to the Durham investigation. And, you know, I've written about this in the past, and uh, others have as well. John Durham, especially, you know, counsel. And uh, the question is whether he was actually going to pursue this in such a politically hot climate and so on. And, and uh, apparently he really is. And, and, and uh, the, the uh, recent uh, revelations about the indictments now of people very close to Hillary Clinton, uh, it's, it's very clear from the indictment uh, that uh, the, the whole Russian collusion hoax with Donald Trump was really a very uh, uh, aggressive uh, attack on Trump. Mm -hmm. And it uh, is based upon an entirely fabricated and very uh, you know, dirty dossier that could have been described as a Hillary dossier where the uh, references to uh, President Trump in a hotel room with Russian prostitutes, et cetera, et cetera, was totally fabricated. And it's also clear that the principal motive for this, because running up to the election when President, when uh, when he was a candidate, was to call attention away from Hillary's email problems, where the she had the thirty thousand emails uh, on her private server that got deleted and included a lot of classified information. And it was a big distraction. She wanted to create a distraction, she and the Democratic National Committee, to suggest that there is this big uh, Trump uh, collusion with the Russians, which is totally fabricated. But, you know, the country spent five years mm -hmm. with nothing, hardly anything else in the headlines other than this Russian collusion thing, and and uh, Radcliffe, former DNI, was on Maria Bartoloma, the program. I remember last Sunday, and he was saying, you know, he had he had, he had uh, passed along about a thousand documents, many un unclassified, that really revealed that there's going to be a lot more heads rolling in this. And Adam Schiff knew about it, although he was always suggesting that he had the dirt, more dirt on, on Trump. And, and uh, Brennan obviously knew that this was a hoax. And FBI was either very gullible or not to be trusted. And you remember the Peter Strzok, uh, you, know, the, you know, the text messages with Linda Page and so on that were very anti-Trump and so on. The bottom line is, is it was a totally made-up right. farce. All the media went with it, and now it's very, very clear who some of the key players are. And Dushenko is 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 one of the, they had this this uh, uh, dossier that was again totally fabricated. And, uh, and look at the players behind that; they were all connected with the DNC and with Hillary Clinton, and there was no verifiable. Uh, evidence that any of this was true, and the country went through just you know five years of nonstop uh, propaganda on this. Yeah, yeah. Just two thoughts. Uh, the first is uh, what President Trump did during that five-year period was just uh, really remarkable, considering that he had this anchor tied around his ankle of this of this uh, process that was going on to uncover uh, <laughs> something that just didn't exist. But the second thing is that uh, while this is happening much more slowly than I would have liked, it really gives me solace. It gives me a good feeling to think that somehow, some way, these dirty tricks, the, uh, the w what's happening, there's going to be political or legal consequences. And to me, I think that's so important. I think people should think twice about doing this, this type of thing because there can be consequences. And I think this is what Durham's investigation is going to bring, bring about. I'm writing an article about this on probably on a Monday, and most particularly about you know, we have we have a number of, of really uh, terrible scandals. So one one is this is just horrific, and then we look at what happened in Afghanistan and 
in the sense of, uh, you know, that, that Biden says, well, I didn't, I really didn't know that, that the country's going to collapse, and I really didn't ask him to pull out all the troops, whatever. And then you have the military you know, contradicting that. And and then you have, and of course, all the stuff that's on Hunter Biden's laptop, including, mm. you know, you know, the, you know, Biden incorporated all of you know foreign dealings and and influence peddling uh, optics of those things and so on, and and even some level of you know Fauci and his denial of having any involvement in gain of function research and so on. But what is all this stuff? Of course, is going to be blocked until the uh, Republicans take the Congress. Yeah. All these, you know, you look at who's heads all these committees. Of course, it's it's uh, Waters and Nagler and Schiff and the whole the whole bloody bunch who spent all their time going after Trump. And so it's going to be, I think, I think the floodgate will open. Pretty confident that you know Republicans will take the House, hopefully the Senate as well. But until until that happens, of course, nothing's going to move forward in terms of. I think real prosecutions, as long as we have Merrick Garland and the Democrats in control. But I think it's going to be a major, major change when uh, when the Congress flips some of these these committees, and uh, at least at least hopefully that will be the yeah that will be the case. But they're laying the groundwork now for all of this, uh, and hopefully you know. And I'll I'll throw on uh, also the twenty uh, the November third twenty twenty election too. I think there's so many dirty tricks that were. I, I mean, it seems to me that the, the special prosecutor, and I know there's been complaints about having brought too broad powers and so forth, but to me this seems to be the only effective thing that really gets to the bottom of things and can bring about real consequences for for the crooks. Well, it's been a wake up call. I think, and we're. We've seen an awful lot of activity in terms of, I think, states pushing back and trying to clean up their voting rolls and, and people really watching the process much more and, and the, you know, the drop boxes and all of all the other stuff. So I think there's, there's been a lot of activity to try to straighten a lot of this out. I think also, you know, Virginia and uh, New Jersey were big, big events in terms of those elections. So I think. I'm really pretty optimistic. I think there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on, on the voting uh, in you know next year, and and uh, that's that's going to be very critical. And I also think that midterms are are very different. They're harder to rig than trying to. Mm. Democrats knew that if they rigged six counties, they could pretty much take the election, which is pretty much what happened. But but in the case of midterms, it's it's a different kind of animal. It's state and local issues. Right, and you've got so many of these these different uh, 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 townships and, and counties and so on that I think you, can, you know they can't can't really do that. So mm. uh, I think the trends are going the right way now. Uh, from your lips to God's ear, Larry. So uh, again, uh, on point is Larry's column at Newsmax dot com. Encourage you to check it out. We're waiting for flagpoles and footprints uh, pioneering the space frontier to be published. In the meantime, get a copy of What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional, going back 13 billion years and following up to our current accomplishments and our race of human beings. Uh, Larry Bell, again, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I enjoy it so much. Thank you. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, Dave Bigo. He's the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, 
car wash and detailing center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. It's the 17th annual Capital Wealth Advisors Turkey Drop. On November 15th, Capital Wealth Advisors joined St. Matthew's House, corporate partners, and 100 volunteers to assemble more than 2,500 Hope for the Holidays meal boxes for those in need. Meal boxes will include a turkey, sides, pumpkin pie, and eggs. St. Matthew's House will distribute the meals to low-income families, those with disabilities, senior citizens, and veterans. The public is invited to help by donating frozen turkeys and canned goods starting on November 9th. Deliver donations to St. Matthew's House Donation Drop-Off at 2601 Airport Road South, Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5. Cash donations are also welcome. For more than 30 years, St. Matthew's House has been providing food, shelter, and life-transforming programs to those struggling with poverty, food insecurity, homelessness, and addiction. Visit stmatthewshouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Dave Bigo. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. He's also the founder and CEO of Executive Management Services. The book is about uh, the travails of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years. They wanted to unionize his shop, and they thought the best way to do that was through him signing a neutrality agreement, which would give them the opportunity and right to go by and sign up his employees one by one until they got to 50% plus one, and voila, they'd be unionized. No, uh, Dave said, no, I'm not going to do that. I won't sign that. But if you want to unionize us, you're going to have to do it through secret ballot. For some inexplicable reason, they they didn't want to do that, probably because they thought they'd lose. So uh, the the wars began, the dirty tricks began, and for two and a half years, Dave uh, suffered from the attacks of his clients, of his uh, customers, of his of families, uh, you name it, and uh, finally prevailed. They slunk away like uh, rats on a sinking ship, and uh, Dave wrote a book about it. It's called The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Bob, and thanks for your comments. Oh, my pleasure. I mean, what's an important story, and I just encourage our listeners to get a copy of the book. First of all, I'll say it's a great read. You just can't make this stuff up. You can't believe that human beings can behave in such a despicable way. Well, that's right, and it's uh, all the things that are going on in this country um, uh, with the Democratic Party who's controlled by the far left and the unions. It certainly is. I mean, uh, I just reflect on all the things that are going on right now and, and the uh, dual system of justice that we think. Uh, I don't know if you have any comments about the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, situation, but my goodness, this young man, 17 years old, I guess he's 18 now, but, uh, you know, he, they put it, they, there's, there's no reason, no reason on God's green earth that this guy should be on trial for murder. That's uh, right. That's exactly right, and it's terrible, but I... At least that judge who is a Democratic judge is standing up for him. Uh, that is exactly right. So a- any uh, any uh, breaking news or any information on union activity? Yeah, I think um, it's, uh, it's interesting that um, um, the unions, uh, of course, um, they are uh, supported by Biden and the Democratic Party, and um, they're going on what they call um, Striketober. And uh, which means that they are really going out and striking against businesses all across the country and big businesses. Oh, and uh, this is um, and you know these, these are companies that are already having uh, problems finding employees at times, and and because of the economy, the inflation, uh, their bottom line is hurting. And but the unions are striking them for more money and more you know uh, things that they want them to do. That's going to uh, take a it's going to hurt them, and, and and some of the big ones that are on the list are Nabisco and Kaiser Permanente, Kellogg's, John Deere, McDonald's. Mm. So you know, and then 
also in higher education across this country. And uh, it's, uh, and, and they got their people going out there and really uh, big time striking. So the whole notion is that here we are in a very, uh, uh, businesses are really uh, struggling just to deal with the whole COVID pandemic and with employees and lack of employees, the supply chain, you you name it. There's just a lot of barriers, a lot of headwinds to success in business. And the unions have decided this is the perfect time to see if we can't bring bring these folks to their knees in order to get more benefits and money for our employees. Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, and of course, more dues for the unions and everything. I mean, there's so many things that they're going after. It's um, it's tough, and um, <clears throat> you know, and um, they are they're you know chasing after companies in all different type of ways, and a lot of mark truthful ways. You know, on you know that they're uh, not they're letting people do sexual attacks on their ki- on their employees and and uh, they're letting people beat them up and stuff. You know, it's 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 kind of the stuff that we saw when we uh, mm. went through it. Yeah. Uh, again, you just can't make this stuff up. It's just unbelievable. And of course, it's a it's a vicious cycle. Uh, once the companies are unionized, and it becomes easy and easier easier during during the Biden administration, for, because they're changing the rules for the National Labor Relations Board uh, to unionize. Once the companies are unionized, they start charging dues. And what do they do with those dues? Well, they send them mainly. Uh, a, a good portion of it to the Democrat Party, so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. It just strengthens the hold of the Democrat Party on our economy. Well, that's right, and uh, they want to bring this country down through the socialist communist country, and this is what this is all about. Yeah. So I'd be curious. Uh, uh, right now, we have this pandemic of inflation going on right now, and finally, the Biden administration's admitting maybe it's not uh, temporary, maybe it's not transitory. Is inflation hurting your business? Well, it it it, it is to some degree um, because uh, companies are, um, you know, they're struggling in that, and um, you know, when you're out there trying to hire employees and you got to pay higher wages uh, to get them in, um, you know, you can't get the companies to uh, bear with you and help you and. Taking care of those higher wages and stuff like that. So yeah, it's in some places it is, and and some places it's not. But it's uh, it's definitely a a concern. Yeah. So I, I would imagine that if you have higher costs for labor, you, you <laughs> if you're going to make a profit, you got to pass those costs on to employers. They're struggling with the same issues, so it becomes kind of a squeeze uh, on your business. Yeah, it is, and uh, that's. Uh, but you know, we've got a lot of our. Uh, uh, great uh, customers that we've had for many, 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 many years that uh, are sitting down and working with us and allow us to uh, are helping us and taking care of the uh, cost for higher on higher employment stuff like that. And uh, so, because they understand that it's and Bob, it is tough still getting people across the country. We're still having a hard time finding people that want to work because of what. Um, um, you know uh, the government's doing out there, and you know that's the other problem with this economy and with everything with the inflation we're having. And, you know, behind the scenes, the flood of government spending, uh, including President Biden's uh, 1.9 trillion coronavirus coronavirus relief package, plus the benefits he's given out, and everything just makes prices uh, rise higher and things go higher and. That's what's going on. Yeah, and of course, you're also going to have to deal with, uh, hopefully, this, these 27 states that have sued uh, the Biden administration and OSHA over this jab business, the m- mandates for, uh, you have, what, close to over 6,000 employees. So that's going to be an expense and also an inconvenience and probably cost you employees. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, we're going through, and um, because, you know, we, because of what... Um, and the penalties are that uh, you'd have to pay if you don't agree with it. Uh, we're still putting programs together and uh, all kinds of things that um, we will actually be distributing out to our employees uh, uh, either uh, today or early next week so that they understand uh, what this is uh, doing. And we have to do it all across the country, you know, give it to our managers and 
and let them sit down and do it. And then we're going to have to uh, mm. do a census on how many of our employees are vaccinated versus not and stuff like that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a tough time. And the thing is, Bob, you know, we're not seeing that many people uh, really have a problem with no. it. And uh, the people that do tend to be ones that don't take care of themselves. Absolutely. Dave Beagle, again, author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. I encourage you to visit thedevilatourdoorstep.com. Great website. Get a copy of the book. You can get a nice discount on the book at my website, bobharden.com. Dave, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, and have a great weekend. You as well, Dave. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for tomorrow on Monday, including Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, and Jim McTagg, current uh, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chair of Murder Mysteries. I, I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.